This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. This morning I'm going to ask something special of you during this sermon. Most of the sermons which I preach have quite a few illustrations which have a definite purpose, that of making clear something which would otherwise not be clear. This message today will not be without illustrations, but they'll be used for the most part in a different way from the usual. That which I'm asking of you in a special way is for you to give me your undivided attention for just a brief while here. Now, it's going to be real easy for you to get lost this morning, just to let your mind wander off to what you might be doing this afternoon. But if you'll stay with me and make an honest effort to think about what I'm saying, I believe you will come to the end of this message with me and agree that you and I really do need to think about these things. In one of his volumes on World War II, Sir Winston Churchill describing the situation as it was changing from defeat to hope for the Allied powers in 1943, Churchill wrote these words, Henceforth, our danger was not destruction, but stalemate. This danger is common in almost every endeavor, arriving at the place where there is no forward progress, where everything remains at a standstill. And this condition is accentuated when a matter becomes a meaningless routine and a boredom. Such a situation is possible in our Christian experiences. And it is expressed in the first two texts that I'm going to be using as a basis for the message this morning. In the last book in the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi repeats a question which the people have asked. And then he gives the answer in the name of God. The leaders confessed that they had become bored with their work. Malachi 1 verse 13 says, What a weariness this is. You see, the people went mechanically about their work in the temple, accepting imperfect sacrifices on behalf of the Lord, and their work for God had become a boredom to them. I think there's much to be said in our own generation about this matter of boredom. It has its relevance in so many places in our lives. For example, for those caught up in a cycle of repetitious labor, those who may sit at a machine or by the assembly line doing the same thing minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Or for those with whom each day means another round of washing dishes, cleaning house, bathing babies, Somebody has computed that the average married woman will probably have to wash 340 tons of dirty dishes in her lifetime. That's 3 million dishes, even with a dishwasher. The average man will work 100,000 hours during his lifetime. That's 6 million minutes. Wow. Boredom has relevance for those whose luxurious appetites have been filled to overflowing and who've gotten tired of it all. Boredom has its relevance for homes 
where the husband and wife look at each other across the table and frankly wonder just how much longer they can stand it. But our subject this morning is not boredom in general, but it is particularly religious boredom, or even more specifically, boredom in our Christian life. I want to make two observations about the nature of this condition, and then I want to suggest something we can do about it. First observation, forms of boredom are common in religious experience. Sometimes the facial expressions or movements of people in the congregation indicate quite a bit to a, to a perceptive minister who stands in the pulpit. And those of you who may be listening to me by podcast this morning uh, have the advantage on me in this. I can't see you. You may already be asleep or you may be snoring by now. It's interesting to look out here at Ocean Lakes, though, at the faces of those who are present in this congregation, such as we have here today, and try to guess what people are thinking. Sometimes I see a man, for instance, uh, whose face tells me, Brother, I was caught this morning. I'm not here by choice. I had to come, and I'll be glad when it's over. Now, I don't say that, but I can just see it all over the face. There's some people who prefer different parts of the worship service. Some like the hymns, the organ or piano music, the scripture reading, the time of prayer. And in the summer, we have the children's sermon. But these sit in darkness during the sermon, glad when it's finally over. And there are other people who endure all that goes on before, erroneously calling everything before the sermon preliminaries, just waiting until the preacher starts to speak. There are those who feel that nothing else is important but the preaching. In fact, I remember when I was just a child, the, the worship services used to be called the preaching service. Sometimes it's still called that. Many people who are considered members of a church have assumed responsibilities of service in some capacity, but as the church year rolls on, maybe late in the summer or before a new church year begins, some of these get right tired of their task. It becomes for them a dull and burdensome labor. One of the problems which the prophets of Old Testament days had to face was the fact that at times, inspiration was seemingly denied them. The history of the Christian experience is full of seasons of weariness, sandy stretches of dryness. St. Thomas Akempis, a 15th century scholar, wrote these words, I have never found any so religious and devout that he had not sometimes a withdrawing of grace or felt not some slackening of zeal. We need to come to the place where we can recognize and accept the fact that some forms of boredom are quite common in our religious, our Christian experience. And if you've never felt like this, uh, uh, maybe something's wrong with you, or if you have felt like this, you're not all alone in that feeling. But there's a second thing that needs to be said about the nature of religious boredom. It can always be traced to the inadequacy of mankind. Boredom is common to everyone, to those who are saved and to those who are lost. 
but boredom does not represent the best that God has to offer us. The fact that you and I can sometimes be bored in our Christian faith does not indicate that there's something wrong with God. Rather, it means there's something wrong with us and our relationship with God. Go back and look at Jesus, the Son of God. Is there any evidence that he is a dull, listless person? Much can be said about the kinds of responses which Jesus evoked among people when he walked on this earth. But there is no shred of evidence at all in the Gospels that anybody ever became bored with Christ. People disagreed with him. People became angry with him. People expressed disappointment in him when he would not be their earthly Messiah. People were jealous of him. Some thought Jesus to be an impractical idealist. And some people loved and worshipped him. But nobody was ever bored with Jesus. Those who gave up on Christ did so not because he had nothing better to offer than a serene repose on quiet lakes, listening to water gently lapping against the shore and watching the grass blow lazily in the breeze. No, to those, those who left him did so because he demanded too much. His way was too different really too dangerous. Those who were committed to Christ found themselves launched forth on an adventure that demanded all they had and even more. So what do we say? What are we going to do about this matter of boredom? Is there any help for us when we feel that we're in the midst of those dark days of dryness in our spiritual walk with the Lord? Well, I think there is hope. There's help. Let me give you some practical suggestions. First, always be willing to face up to the fact that you have such experiences. When you feel like you're going through a time of real boredom in your Christian experience, realize that this is a reflection of your need. This should remind you you have not yet arrived. You still have some growing room. It does no good for a person to pretend that you're getting something out of your religious experience when you really are not. Do you feel that your Christian life is now at a low ebb? Well, let that feeling spur you on as you realize that you're not happy with the way things are. Let that be a springboard to something better. A second suggestion. Remember that life with Christ involves discipline, and routine. It is said that William Sandy used to tell his classes at Oxford that three-fourths of all intellectual work in the world was unrelieved drudgery. Isn't it amazing that we will accept as routine certain conditions in other areas of life, but not in our Christian faith? So many people, I think, expect that life with Christ is supposed to be an exclusive tour of mountaintop experiences. These people go to church Sunday after Sunday, expecting the preacher or the musicians or the Sunday school teacher or somebody else to entertain them to a slight degree of greater intensity than they received the Sunday before. These folks are in a no-win game of, can you top this, as they expect every Sunday to be bigger and better. They're not really concerned about the work to be done in the valley. 
They want to stay on the mountaintop all the time. They seem to forget that every mountain has at least two valleys. There was an insurance company executive in a letter to his salesman who wrote these words, drudgery is the foundation of happiness itself. The drudgery you hate today will, if you give yourself wholeheartedly to it, become your greatest love tomorrow. Thomas Huxley, the great English biologist, said, The longer I live, the less value I put on cleverness, the more value I put on industry and endurance. Let me give you a third suggestion for you when you feel those days of boredom have fallen upon you. Re-examine your attitude toward the people about you, especially maybe toward your church. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One of, these, one of these was a fellow we'll call John Jones, just to give him a made-up name. Before the choir and the ministers came out, he heard the organist miss a note in the prelude, and John winced. Later, when the preacher asked everyone to bow for prayer, he saw a teenage girl talking to her girlfriend. As the offering plates were passed, he was absolutely sure the usher was watching to see what he was going to put in the plate and it made him boil down inside. By actual count, he caught five grammatical errors in the sermon. And when the closing invitation was given, he slipped out quietly and left the church before anybody could speak to him, muttering under his breath, never again will I come here. Bunch of clods and hypocrites in this church. That's John Jones. But let's look at this other fellow who went up to the temple. We'll call him Tom Brown, just to make up another name. Tom heard the organist play, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and he thrilled at the majesty of it. He noticed the vivacious smile on the faces of several teenagers who obviously had the kind of faith which conveyed their joy in being with their friends in God's house. His heart was uplifted when he realized that Part of the offering he gave that day would be used to help starving people in different distant countries, as well as those here at home who were starved spiritually. Tom appreciated the sermon that Sunday. It answered a question he had been bothered with for a long time. And as he walked out with the crowd at the end of the service, he thought to himself, surely the Lord was in this place today. I felt his presence. Two men went to the same church at the same time, the same day. But what a difference in what they experienced. One was frustrated, agitated, and bored, leaving empty and unsatisfied. The other left praising God for what he had felt and seen. I think the real crux of this issue we're thinking about this morning boils down to whether we've come to that place of real surrender of ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. When a person is in Christ, when Christ is in a person, then things are different. This brings us to our second text for the message. The first one was from Malachi. Oh, what a weariness this is. But the second text is from 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Are you in a continual process of being made into a newer, newer, newer person? Do you feel today that this matter of religious boredom speaks directly to your need? You know, it may well be that God is especially preparing you for a time of spiritual renewal in your life. Sometimes years ago, we used to call this revival. And if you feel that you're not where you'd like to be spiritually, then you can begin right now to pray for God to send a revival and let it begin in you. God can continue to move in wonderful ways to help us find restored joy in our Christian life. Chords that are broken will vibrate once more. And if you want these good things to happen to you, you don't have to wait until some future date. It can happen right now, today, wherever you are, if you'll let God have His way in your heart. Will you do that? Lord, help us to be open to you. And even when we feel bored with what we have had in our spiritual experience, help us, Lord, to know that it's not your fault, but you'll show us the way out. Thank you for loving us even when we don't love ourselves or not happy with ourselves. You gave us a new beginning, and you do that each day. For that and for the blessing of salvation through Jesus, we thank you. In his name we pray, amen.